Hello and welcome to the Tech 10 Podcast. This is Alex Drew of Big Ten Network, and today's guests are Rutgers wide receiver and NFL draft hopeful Bo Melton and Big Ten Network manager of research Harold Shelton. Let's get into it. Take a look, listen, and enjoy. Look at here, look at here. With the catch, the finish! First guest, like I said at the top, is Bo Melton. He was a standout player at Rutgers for the last several seasons. One of those do-it-all wide receivers who uh, should have a chance to make an impact in the NFL this upcoming year, especially as we talk about Bo, the way the league is shifting more and more toward playmakers who can catch the ball, run out of the backfield, contribute on special teams, and those are things that Bo did at Rutgers throughout his time there. So good to catch up with him uh he was always a good personality i know we'd cross paths at media days in the past and um just a, a good dude who you wish the best for as he enters the professional stage of his football journey so get to that discussion with bo melton the scarlet knight starts right now all right i'm very pleased to be joined by a star wide receiver all-purpose player from rutgers and a big 10 name we are almost certainly going to hear in the upcoming 2022 NFL Draft. It's Bo Melton. Bo, what's up, man? How are you? Good, Alex. How you doing today? Doing great. Appreciate you jumping on. And uh, just want to catch up, you know, off the top here with what you're doing in kind of that weird limbo time between Rutgers and the draft. So how are you keeping busy? Where are you working out? What's kind of the process been like? Of course, yeah. Um, staying busy, you know, working out at uh, Bomarito Performance Systems down in Florida. Um, just grinding every day, waking up, just going out there and uh, training right now. Yeah, down in Florida, not too bad with a little bit of weather, better weather than you get in, in Jersey this time Jersey. of year. Uh, <laughs> so take me through, you know, just kind of how your life has changed um, as you get ready for the combine, first of all, because that's, that's a big deal. You're invited, uh, you know, one of a couple of Rutgers players to get that call. So what's, what's kind of the adjustment from going to school and, and uh, hanging out at Rutgers and now hanging down, down in Florida? Yeah, the moments are real, you know, just being able to just come from Rutgers and be able to come out here and train and get a combine invite. You know, I've been dreaming of this my whole life and dreaming of playing in the NFL. So just to be in that moment, just to be out here training for that moment feels awesome for me and my family. Yeah, you were down at the Senior Bowl. Um, how was that type of atmosphere different than maybe like other showcases you had coming up, whether that's high school? Just take me through what it was like seeing your fellow college stars, getting to compete against them and go down to, to Alabama and, and show out. Yeah, of course, uh, just going down there competing with a lot of the best of the best talent, you know, um, college football was an amazing experience. Got to meet a lot of people um, from NFL teams, a lot of people from other teams, just just picking everybody's knowledge and just getting to know people was a great experience. And being able to show my explosiveness, my versatility on the field um, in front of the teams was a goal of mine. And I think I did that. Do they let you keep those jerseys? Because I'm not going to lie. Those jerseys are kind of clean. Like, usually sometimes they look generic at some of these things, but those are nice. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I kept them jerseys, kept the practice jerseys. I got all them jerseys that I'll uh, get to my parents. I'm, I'm going to hang that up. <laughs> there you go. Reese's, Reese's on everything. Uh, all right, we got that uh, that combine coming up in Indy, March 1st through 7th. Um, how do you prep for something like that? Because it seems like such a weird experience, right? Like, everything's so fine-tuned. Uh, you got everything from like mental tests to physical. Um, what, what, what are the drills that you are focusing on primarily and, and how's the prep process going? Yeah, of course, you know, focus on the 40 yard dash is uh, one of the biggest drills and I've uh, been focused on that a lot. And uh, also with like the three cone, the L drills, the position drills that they will be doing, just getting ready to prep for that so that we're ready for the moment, you know, just doing all the things every day to uh, make us ready for that moment. So how do you get ready for something like the 40, right? Like you, obviously you can, you can run it as many times as you want in, in preparation, but like, how do you, how do you get that burst? How do you kind of test yourself? Um, I, I wouldn't know, like last time I ran a 40, it was in PE. So take me through how you, how you prep for that. Yeah. 40 is mine. You, you gotta be uh, just very mellow and fast with it. You know, just being a faster guy, you know, it kind of takes a lot of technique, kind of a lot of work Just working on the start to the, uh, your top end speed, just, just working on this, 
the transition in between the 40 yard dashes, working on every type of split that you want to get. You just work on one piece of day. Got you. And, and you're a versatile guy, versatile player. And that's really like the, the name of the league right now. You got guys like Debo, Samuel, Cordero Patterson, uh, a lot of these like super wide receivers, super backs who can, you know, not only catch the ball, run, contribute on special teams. I feel like you're coming in at the right time, you know, to the NFL for a guy of your, your, your skill set. So are you encouraged by kind of the way you see the league going? Oh, absolutely. You know, um, that's my game. I like to do is be versatile. You know, guys like Debo Samuel, guys like Cordero Patterson, like you mentioned, um, they play a lot of roles in offense. And that's the type of thing I've been doing since I've been um, in college. And I feel like that's a great time to come into the NFL during the time of um, when versatile wide receivers are being um, at the big, at the big names. So I feel like it's a good time for us. All right. You can do a little exercise real quick. You don't have to answer these, but I know all kinds of players do comps with their, uh, their NFL counterparts. Right. So like, you look at somebody and say, oh, I got the hands of uh, A.J. Brown and got the speed of Tyreek Hill, something like that. So if I give you, you know, a category like hands and speed, uh, can you name a counterpart in the NFL that you could match it to? So, like, if I asked if you have the hands of which receiver in the NFL, who would you say your hands are similar to? I'd say my hands are similar to, I'll say Stefan, Stefan Diggs. Yeah, strong hands. So. Fellow Big Ten guy. How about uh, what's your speed similar to? Which player? Speed, I'm gonna say Jonathan Taylor just because, yeah, I'll say JT. Okay, going running back. And then last one, versatility. Uh, what, what kind of versatility you got comparable to a guy in the league right now? Uh, I'll say like Debo, you know, like we got the same role type of playing wise. Yeah, gold standard right there, Debo. All right, thanks for doing that. Now I want to look back at uh, your Rutgers career a little bit. Um, obviously. You know, playing early on, there were some down seasons, but you played through COVID and then get to close your senior year out with a, a bowl season. And obviously, you know, going through a couple of coaching changes, it was up and down. But um, obviously, you were one of the success stories in that team. So what are some of the favorite moments you look back on, you hold on to, and you might cherish, you know, looking back down the road when you uh, wrap up your NFL career? What are the Rutgers moments that you'll you'll hold dearly? Um, I, just, I cherish a lot of moments, you know, uh, Biggest moments I cherished was like the way we stuck together during the COVID year. You know, it was a hard year because COVID was out. A lot of people was getting um, COVID, but we was trying to stay away from that and uh, stay together as a team. That was a big moment for our team just to stick together and be able to be in like sort of a bubble and still be able to play them games. And I feel like that was a big moment. And starting off the year three and zero, my the last season I was at um, kind of gave us more juice and gave us more you know excitement in the program. And that COVID year was the year that that crazy trick play happened. Um, <laughs> I think you had two touches on that with the the schoolyard BS, as they would call it, in longest yard. Um, I feel like they got to count that, right? Like, even if they got to retroactively go back and give you a, a touchdown on that, like, how, how does that call get, that type of play get called back? Because that was insane. Yeah, uh, that play was ridiculous, you know. Uh, honestly, this – it's hard to say because we really practice that play. Like, everybody's like, no, you don't practice all them throws. But we do practice in the game stuff at Rutgers, you know. There's a case for moments like that. And uh, practicing that play, like, having everybody fine-tune and knowing the ball has to go backwards, has to go backwards. And all of us just, just being a fine-tune of it, it was kind of amazing to see. You know, it got called back. But it was just one of the – probably one of the greatest plays, you know, that got called back in history. So, Yeah, maybe it didn't count, but it got a lot of YouTube views and it still lives on uh... – in you know, kind of the legend of, of social media and all that. So that'll be one they'll they'll be showing kind of forever. Um, <laughs> all right, you know, you, you got your your brother Max is a DB. Um, that's interesting to me because you got obviously yourself as a wide receiver, Rose a DB. Do you guys go one on one, work out? Who who's clamping who uh, in the drills? Like, take me through what that's like. Are are you still you know kind of putting him in his place as a little brother? Yeah, Max, uh, he, he's his own guy. He's his own man. He's really he's really a great cornerback. You know, uh, he, he has so much potential, and he, he does a really good job. Just You can see last year uh, how many picks he had. In the first, he had, like, a pick a game in the first four, four games, three games. And so to seeing him grow, you know, seeing him being able to um, – at practice, me and him going against each other, being able to go one-on-one, and me getting him, him getting me, me going back and forth, stuff like that, he's really evolving to be a very good cornerback. And I think he's going to put on it and show everybody uh, this year. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Stefan 
Diggs, you got Stefan, and you got Trayvon Diggs as a counterpart, as, as a defensive back in the Cowboys. Maybe you guys are the next next to come up there as far as <laughs> siblings on both sides of the ball. Um, all right, Bo, like switching away from football a little bit, have you been watching what Rutgers basketball has been doing? Because I know they had a, a couple losses, you know, they had one last night, but they were on a real hot streak. Obviously, March Madness coming up. Do you keep up with the Hoopers at all? Absolutely. I, I try to watch as, much, as many games as I can. I've I seen what they did. Um, being uh, five-ranked teams. I think it was on a four-ranked team win streak being the teams. And just seeing how them play, they're playing, they're playing very together. They're playing great basketball, you know, just having uh, guys like Ron and Gio. Uh, Gio came in with as a player, and we talked about this way before um, it happened, uh, probably like around freshman, sophomore year. But this is a great team they have, and and they play together, they play hard. Yeah, what did you, Gio, talk about? Just coming up together, or what, what was kind of that discussion like? Yeah, we talked uh, – a couple of times before, like the freshman, sophomore year, just, just talking about, you know, we wanted to change programs around, you know, and be able to um, make Rutgers at the top. And I'm just seeing it so really like the CM this year and seeing the team uh, just come out and win a lot of games and win against ranked teams, like like four ranked teams in a row was really, that's a milestone that, that they hit. So, yeah, it's been great to see what both of you guys have done. And I'm a big Geo Baker fan as well. Um, so awesome yeah. to hear you guys, you guys chop it up. Um, how are your hooping skills, your basketball skills? You got, you got anything or are you just a strictly football player? I I could hoop, you know, uh, hooping is my, I could play ball, I could play a little bit. And, uh, I really like going to the rim, but you can't really show nothing like in, uh, like street basketball. Cause they just foul you all the time. But I, I'm like a go-to guy, I like the dunk, I like to go to the rim and take it hard. Yeah, I was going to say, could you do better than what we saw in the NBA dunk contest last weekend? Because that was kind of trash. <laughs> I feel like you could have got up there and done a little better. <laughs> I haven't seen that NBA. I heard about it. I really heard about it. You NBA didn't miss dunk. anything. It, it was bad. <laughs> if, you, if you could just put a put one down, I think that would, that would top a lot of the dunks that were in that, that dunk contest. So, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> All right, Bo, wrapping up. Before we jump off here, want to uh, just, you know, for anyone who might be listening that – either lands you, you know, in the draft eventually or is getting to know kind of the draft prospects. Just want to do a couple categories, rapid fire, getting to know you off the field a little bit, just your personality. So uh, first question is, do you have any TV shows or movies that you like to, to stream or binge or, or watch in your downtime? Yeah, I like watching uh, Too Hot to Handle. That's like some Netflix show. It's just funny to me, and I, I like watching that as a Netflix show. All right. What about uh, favorite foods? Uh, I like oxtails. It's just making food. Okay. My favorite what about, food. What about uh, which social media app on your phone gets the most screen time? Uh, Instagram, for sure. Instagram is the most. And last one, what will be your uh, your first purchase when you get to the league? You know, when that first check hits. Um, I'm just getting stuff from my parents. You know. Uh, that's my first thing I want to do, you know, save a lot of money. So I'm saving it, but I'll make sure my parents get something really good. All right. If that was a test, you pass. You know, if they ask you that in the pre-draft interviews, and you're, you're already on the right track. So with the wise <laughs> answer. Um, all right, Bo, appreciate you jumping on, man. That's all I got for you. But uh, really great talking to you in the pre-draft process. And best of luck. Going to be, be listening for your name at the end of April coming up here. And um, yeah, once again, best of luck and congrats on your career so far. I appreciate it, Alex. Thank you for having me on. All right. Thanks once again to Bo for joining. And best of luck to him in the next couple months as he preps for the NFL draft. Um, next week's combine. And coming up with uh, everything that goes into kind of the, the last uh, last stages of your non-professional football career. So shout out to him for, for chasing it. And uh, wishing the best of luck as, a, as another the latest big time alum to try his hand at the NFL. So we will move along now to the second part of the show. It's an interview with Big Ten Network Manager of Research, Harold Shelton. If you've not uh, listened to the show before or are unfamiliar, Harold usually comes on during the second part of each episode to talk about the latest in Big Ten men's basketball and football. And obviously with March Madness approaching, Big Ten tournament approaching, and the Big Ten basketball title race coming down to the wire here in its home stretch. There's plenty to talk about with Harold uh, in the last week of February. So get into the 
chase at the top of the standings. We get into some bubble teams, which way teams are trending, uh, Big Ten Player of the Year conversation, all that. It's coming right up, and uh, we discuss it with Harold. So we will toss over to H and get right into it. All right, very pleased to rejoined by Harold Shelton. H, it's been a hiatus for a little while, but we're back. We had to get, get back on the ones and twos for stretch run here. So how you hanging in? Yeah, hanging in. Like you said, uh, stretch runs coming up these next five weeks or so are going to be very, very busy. Uh, we feel like we got through the dog days of February and, you know, not a fun begins. February is the shortest and longest month always. Just how you're right about that. <laughs> I feel it. So, yep. So March is right around the corner. Uh, getting this out, like I said, before the, the final stretch run, we're like in the last quarter. If you want to break up into quarters of the Big Ten race, uh, got four or five games left for each team. And we'll talk a lot about that right uh, in a moment here. But want to chat about our guest on this episode. We got Bo Melton who a uh, fun guy to talk to and a fun player to watch at Rutgers. What do you remember about him now as, you know, when, when Rutgers first joined the league, there wasn't a lot of like history within the conference to look back on. Now it feels like they kind of settled in and we know about the program and, and where some of these players start to slot in. So uh, where does Bo Melton fit in that perspective? Uh, well, I remember he was a big time recruit coming out. Um, he's four star kid, top 300 kid. And you know, a lot of big things were expected of him. And I feel like he kind of got off to a slow start, but I think that was a lot of just the program in general. And, and once they got their footing under Shiano, um, you start to see the explosiveness. You got you got to see the versatility, the creativity in the ways that he was used. You know, whether he's throwing passes, catching passes, you know, running jet sweeps, you know, they find ways to get him the ball and, and he made it happen when he had it. Yeah, we talk about it. It's kind of the versatility that the NFL is continuing to move toward, you know, these guys who can contribute on special teams, maybe get the ball to out of the backfield and, and then get out in space as a receiver. We see it with Debo and Cordero Patterson, plenty of guys where, you know, he might be able to fit. And you just, you're right. You like, you don't know how much of someone's uh, production or lack thereof is a benefit of their environment. Right. Like if you went to somewhere where there was an established cradle of QBs, like who knows what kind of numbers you might've been putting up. Yeah, exactly. You know, I feel like it was still really good for him to put up the numbers that he did, despite, you know, going through multiple coaching changes, you know, multiple schemes and the fact that, you know, they kind of had to dial the offense back a little bit, um, even with having Sean Gleason and Shiano come on. The fact that he was still able to put up, you know, the numbers that he did, the fact that he was still able to reach the end zone in multiple ways, it just shows the talent that he has. All right, so let's stick on Rutgers while we are uh, transitioning here, football to basketball, because they've been the biggest story and, like, the biggest gap in our discussion since we talked last. We probably talked end of January, and same players at the top pretty much as when we left off there, but Rutgers was the, the team that hadn't gone on its run yet. They were interesting, but they were kind of the team that I would fold into the end of the discussion, like, all right, which of this group, here in the middle of the conference might rise up and make a run. turns out it was Rutgers. Uh, they've been the probably the biggest story of February for Big Ten teams making a move, and they made history, right? They won four games as an unranked team against ranked opponents in a row, and they just now recently lost their first game in a while, had that streak snapped by Purdue. So um, obviously it's surprising to the degree that you don't see this happen very often with, with a stretch like that, but – do you think this Rutgers team was maybe built for a resurgence more than most across the college basketball landscape? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I think they had a lot of experience on the team. Um, I know they were either top four or top five in terms of uh, returning experience in the conference. And, you know, they had guys like Geo Baker and Ron Harper who have, you know, got some tournament experience. Um, I think Cliff um, uh, Amori, I always want to say Omaruyu, but Amori, uh, has developed more so, and he's become a reliable big for them. Um, likes to put dudes through the rim, very athletic, uh, can rebound. And I think Paul McKay, he taking a step, he's kind of become that that third scorer that they lacked for a while, and he's become a, a much better playmaker too. So I think when you had those guys and you have Caleb McConnell literally just taking guards away, taking wings away, 
Um, I think it just makes them, you know, really, really tough to deal with. Uh, Steve Pike has done a really good job instilling culture there in terms of, you know, being rugged, being tough, being physical. You know, they, they dominated Michigan State on the boards. They dominated Illinois on the boards. And those are two teams that pride themselves on being tough. And Rutgers was definitely tougher, both of them, um, in those games that they played in February. Yeah, the only thing that can take them out of the tournament now or keep them out of the tournament is uh, a combination of, like, some disastrous, you know, regression at this point or their ugly losses early on. So it would be a combination of those losses hurting them and it going south from here, which I don't think will happen. But I kind of want to fold that early season slide into this question. Like, why do you think it took them a little bit to get going? Was it just because they lost Miles Johnson, Jacob Young? Like, I was surprised when they started off so slow, just just knowing who they had back. But at the same time, you lose a lot of production. It's kind of like Michigan, right? Like, everyone thought they'd be really good this year. And it's like, hold on a second. They're losing major players. So... Why did Rutgers lose some of those head scratchers? And do you think that's like completely out of this team system at this point? Uh, I do think it's out of their system. I think Geo Baker being hurt, um, you know, had a lot to do with that. I don't think he was 100%. And I, and I remember hearing like when Rutgers had all that time off during December with the, with the COVID pause, that it was kind of a blessing in disguise for him because it allowed him to kind of get back to 100%, which he wasn't. Uh, you know, in the early part of the year. And so I think once he got rolling to compliment Ryan Harper, it certainly helped. And then once Paul McKay, he joined the fray and became the playmaker that he's been, it's made them much more balanced offensively. You can normally rely on them for defense and rebounding. Uh, but now they have, you know, playmakers, they have shooters, and they're much more balanced in terms of being able to shoot threes and going inside, whether it's, you know, driving, you know, whether it's Mulcahy driving or whether it's, you know, dumping the ball off the cliff and him getting the bucket. So they've, they've, uh, they've done a really good job. And I feel like they probably need two more wins, I think, to feel safe in terms of making the tournament. I don't want to punch their ticket yet because there's still work to do, but they've gone from being completely off the radar to controlling their own destiny. And not only that, we're talking about potential double buy, you know, for the Big Ten tournament. And, you know, they hadn't finished, you know, higher than seventh since he's been there. So, I mean, Pico's done a really, really good job. And if Guard doesn't, if Wisconsin doesn't win the league, then I think I would vote for Pico for coach of the year. Yeah, let's see Pico. Just seems like he keeps that group level, the whole program. You know, he's he's – I remember when he was hired and it was like, well, that track record's there. If he can just do, you know, maybe a fraction of what he he uh, did at Stony Brook, like Rutgers in good shape. And and I think he succeeded, you know, even my high expectations when he was hired. And I just like personal interactions, like nicest guy ever. I see why guys want to play for him. And I think Rutgers will be a nightmare for non-Big Ten teams in the NCAA tournament. Um, teams that wear you down. Like, I feel like it's like a... When I used to watch like St. Mary's in the tournament and guys that would just like clawed you to death, you know, and, and every time there was a 50-50 ball or some break that could go either way, usually teams make those breaks. And, and I just remember watching like those Della Vidova St. Mary's teams and, and seeing like Paul Mulcahy and then now, you know, with the playmakers like um, like Baker and, and Harper, you know, it's kind of like the – Am I, am I crazy? Patty Mills was on those teams too, wasn't he, back in the day? I know he definitely saw the same years. I, yeah. I feel like, I don't know if they crossed over at all, him and Della Vidova, but they seems like they always had good guard. Were, I hated watching them because I because usually it'd be like they'd be playing Wisconsin in the tournament or something. And right. I, you know, I'd, I'd be like, how have I watched this Wisconsin team run through the Big Ten all year and then St. Mary's got them in, in a pretzel? But um, right. I feel like that's what Rutgers is going to do to somebody. And, and, and they got that added chip on their shoulder from the Houston game when they – probably should have been going to the Sweet 16 last year. Yeah, exactly. I, I think Rutgers could be a huge problem for for some people. And, you know, I know we talked about the losing streak uh, or the winning streak getting snapped uh, the other day against Purdue, but you're not going to run into too many teams like Purdue uh, in an NCAA tournament unless you get deep into March. I don't think you'll be seeing a team like that in the first two games. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if, if Rutgers – uh, you know, if they continue to play the way that they're playing, if they became a second weekend team. 
Yeah, and the other team that has risen and boosted its profile and stock since we last talked is Iowa. And, like, Iowa always was kind of up there in the advanced rankings. Um, you know, like the Net and Ken Palm have liked them most of the year. And they were kind of in that middle when we last talked. But they finally, I think, have that, gotten that signature win. I think you can call it that over Ohio State. And they just kind of steadily been getting better and looking more like the Iowa teams of the last few years where they're just really hard to contain offensively. Uh, what are your thoughts on Iowa now that just knocked off your guys uh, the day after recording this and, and uh, have proven that they're going to get a pretty good seed in the NCAA tournament if things continue on this path? Yeah, it was weird with Iowa because, like you said, they you know the advanced numbers loved them, the net loved them. Um, and before the Ohio State game, they didn't have a quad one win. And you're wondering, like, how does the net, you know, love them so much? And yet you look at their resume, they don't have a ton of good wins. Like, they got some quad twos and stuff like that, but they didn't really have, like, a, oh, they won this game. And then they went to Columbus, and they pretty much controlled the last 30 minutes of that game and pretty much eliminated E.J. Liddell from the Big Ten player of the year race. Um, and then they followed that up by completely running Michigan State off the floor and you see how special Keegan Murray is. And you see when they want to defend and when they want to lock in, they could be a problem because they switch a lot of stuff. They got a lot of long limbs with both McCaffrey's, both Murray's, Rabracha. You know, they like to play a lot of guys as it is because they play fast. And they seem to be a little bit more athletic than they have been in the past. And, you know, I, I can see them being a problem because – what you need in the tournament is you need to do to get a bucket. When stuff bogs down and the game slows down a bit, you need to do that's going to get a bucket. And they clearly had that in Keegan Murray, um, you know, top five scorer in the country, you know, one of the player of the year favorites in the league. You know, I, I think Iowa could be really tough. They're top. I think there's tied for six now in the standings. And I feel like they need him and maybe a couple other guys with him to finally get to that second weekend, which they haven't done over 20 years. Yep. Stonks going up for Iowa and Rutgers. Uh, we'll talk some teams that are sliding now and, and including your boys who are on the wrong end of Iowa and Illinois, the week, uh, the game before that over the weekend. And uh, Michigan state is hitting that regression hard. You know, we, we talked about when they were creeping in the top 10, you know, was it legit? Were, were they that type of uh, caliber of team? And uh, they struggled. So what do you think is wrong? What, what kind of outlook do you have for them to potentially turn it around? Um, I know we've been talking about the one thing that hasn't changed over the long layoff we had was talking about Tom Izzo tying the Bob Knight record for most wins as a Big Ten coach. And like We've had all this stuff ready to go and haven't got a chance to share it yet because they're sitting one shy of Bob Knight's 662nd win. So uh, there's all kinds of... I guess qualifiers wrapped up in that question, but diagnosis Spartans for me. And, and what's your outlook? Uh, how long you got? Yeah. Feels like it might take a while, but uh, I'll try to be as brief as I can. Um, I think they've had, they've really struggled with the wings uh, over the last six weeks or so. And I think part of their success early on was Gabe Brown was making a lot of shots and he was also doing a lot of little things. You know, he was active on the defensive end. He was active on the glass. Max Christie looked like he was going to be Big Ten freshman of the year, you know, kind of heading into mid-January. And both of those guys, you know, their jumpers have left them. And they aren't doing much else on the court. And so they're, I feel like between that and then the fact that they just like the normal Michigan State tenants, which are, you know, defense and rebounding and being physical and getting out and running like they aren't doing any of those things right now. And so, you know, this is Tom Izzo's worst defensive team since 2006. You know, it's his worst you know, defensive rebounding team in five years. And they don't have a leader and his best teams usually have, you know, a point guard that can take control of games, can, you know, if stuff bogs down, they can get a bucket. And they don't really have that. You know, they tried to, the point guard switch with A.J. Hogarth for Tyson Walker, and I think it's benefited both of them. But 
neither one of them right now are leaders of that team. And they both have flaws that other teams can exploit. And right now they just look like a team that lacks a lot of confidence. Um, that Iowa game was pretty much over 10 minutes in and you kind of saw the way it was going to go and you kind of figured they weren't going to come back. And it's, you know, they've been very inconsistent all year. Like we saw Tyson Walker go crazy in the second half against Illinois and then he didn't want to shoot against Iowa last night until the game was pretty much over. So you just really don't know what you're going to expect from them game to game. And, um, you know, the way it's going, you know, they probably need, I'd say, another win to, to feel somewhat comfortable about Selection Sunday. And the way the schedule <laughs> it looks coming up, I mean, they still got Purdue. They're at Michigan. They're at Ohio State. And then you get Maryland at home. Maryland almost beat them. They needed a buzzer beater to beat them, you know, back in January. So, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's a tough time right now for sure. The Penn State one, I think, is the killer, right? Because yeah. it, it turns a up and down couple of weeks, which is pretty common in the Big Ten to like an extended slide. And they were up sizably yeah, in that 14. game. You know, 14 mm-hmm. in the second half. You let them get back in it. And you let John Hare manhandle you on the boards. And, and here you are. It was an all-time heater, though, from Tyson Walker. Like, that was that was insane on uh, this past Saturday. I, I The only thing that it reminded me of that I could – reference was Demetric Trice last year doing a similar uh you know similar type of bunch scoring binge scoring uh where he just couldn't miss yeah and both times Illinois survived on the road and got out of there with a win um yeah it was crazy um just because like he was billed as a scorer and then when he got to Michigan State he was kind of more of a facilitator and Izzo even wanted him to shoot more but it seemed like he didn't want to shoot more and it was a guy that was in his head and it seemed like once he and Hogar were playing together, it allowed him to just worry about scoring. Like Hogar is going to be the point guard. You don't have to worry about trying to set everything up and go through the plays. Like just go get buckets. And he did. And like you said, it was, if they had another couple minutes, maybe they pull it out. Who knows? But uh, Trent Frazier with the dagger three, you know, to, for Illinois to get out of there and, and stay at the top of the big 10. So yeah, your your boys uh, they dodge one for sure. Uh, you hate to see uh, an effort like that go to waste. Those Illinois and MSU games are always close lately, always tight. I don't no matter what. Seems like it's. I mean, you, a couple of years ago I was at the one where Michigan State was up twenty, and Illinois came back, take the lead, and then uh, Tillman dunk. Tillman had the dunk. Then there were the two this year that were both big comebacks involved. And I'm trying to remember last year, Io also got hurt in the one because they only played once last year, right? Yeah, they only played once last yeah. year. And that was nope. Michigan State outplayed them in that, but it was still close enough where you can kind of consider it a close game. But I feel like there's been a lot of good ones lately. Yeah, and I remember Io hitting a hitting a dagger as a freshman mm-hmm. to upset like a top ten Michigan State team. So yeah, it's it's definitely been been some fun games between those two. Yeah. Well, I'm going to your alma mater for that Purdue game this weekend, MSU against Purdue on Saturday. Uh, so I'm going to need the preview or the tour, or like the itinerary or something. Uh, I've been promised, I have been promised a, I hope I'm not jinxing it, uh, some sort of like behind the scenes tour or look at uh, Breslin Center. And I don't know if the practice facility, like how connected that is, but I'm hoping to get kind of the the, the tour by my my boots on the ground there. So um, I'm at least looking forward to that for sure. Yeah, that'll be fun, especially, um, you know, with all the, the renovations that they've done there with the, the Gilbert Pavilion and the, the, the Draymond weight room and all this stuff. So it's um, I haven't gone in a few years, so I haven't even seen all of the new stuff. But I know there's like the Hall of History there named after Izzo and they, they've got a, a bunch of add ons that look pretty cool and. Uh, the Pratt facility is right, right connected to the Breslin, so that shouldn't be an issue for you. All right, excited. I'll I'll come next time with my review and uh, yeah, let me all, know all the, all the things I did for sure. Um, all right, so Michigan State sliding, Indiana also uh, sliding even further. Like they're probably out of the tournament picture at this point, right? They got some work to do. I feel like I've seen them on first or next four out type of projections. We just did a. Uh, uh, the first version of the seed board with Andy Katz today, and he had them out. So is Indiana, uh, they still have a window to to get back in. Obviously, everyone does with the conference tournament, but 
what's it looking like beyond, you know, them reverting to the last few years just with a lot of the same guys in there, lack of perimeter shooting and, you know, Trace really just not being, um, you know, Trace killing it obviously in the, in the stat sheet, but maybe not having enough around him to lift that team to the tournament at this point. It's, it's looking like deja vu right now. Yeah, that I, they're going to, if they miss the tournament, they're going to really keep themselves for that Ohio State game the other day. Um, they had that game Wisconsin one. Too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the Wisconsin game where they had a huge lead. There was a 22 point lead in Madison and let it go. Um, and again, Ohio State the other day, you know, they, they played really well defensively, had a lead late, just needed to get one more stop, couldn't get it, and lost in overtime. Um, no, it's, it's been the same issue where they don't get enough from their guards. And that was the issue under Archie. It seems to be the issue here. Um, obviously, it's only year one under Woodson, but um, it's still been the same issues for the last few years. And I feel like with, with Trace, whenever he's facing a big that is just as big, if not bigger, he's not nearly as good as he is against other teams that like we saw him against Wisconsin. And he was great because they don't have that athletic big to deal with him. But like we saw against Purdue and we've saw, seen against Illinois, he just isn't that same big. Like he's not nearly as effective. Um, and even Michigan State, you know, had enough, you know, athletic bigs to kind of move him around so he wasn't as effective. Uh, Right now, just kind of looking at the bracket matrix, they have Indiana as a 12. Like, they're bunched in there with Michigan and Rutgers right now. Uh, very close to, like, that last four-in play-in situation. Uh, I don't want to say that they're out, but they're certainly trending in the wrong direction. I think they probably need a couple of wins to feel secure uh, about getting in. But I'm not I'm not throwing dirt on them yet. I don't, I don't think they're out, but – they need to get some W's here in these last couple of weeks. And I don't know if they're going to win in West Lafayette. So they got to find some other games to do them in. Well, if Wisconsin takes home a share outright Big Ten title, they got to send like a thank you card or a piece yeah. of the trophy to Indiana, right? Because it was twice that they were down big to Indiana and came back and won, I want to say. Yeah, because even the game in Bloomington a couple Bloomington, weeks ago. They weren't up huge, but they were controlling that game. Right. Like, they were yeah. definitely up, like, a couple possessions at the the under four media timeout, and Johnny Davis went Johnny Davis and just took the game from um, which happened the first time, too. Uh, like you said, they, they've just had issues closing games late, and outside of the game against Purdue at home, that seems to be a recurring issue where they need some play from good guards, and they don't get it. And like the Northwestern game where they were missing a couple of guys, it was the same thing where that, that game, they had a chance to win it and they didn't. And it's just kind of been the same old story for the last few years for the Hoosiers. And I think because of that, now their backs are against the wall. And again, I don't think they're going to win in West Lafayette. So they got to find a way to get another couple wins somewhere else. Yeah. And that was the, the Tyra bus game. I don't want to like, get into it too much because I, I know like I think she was upset by fans calling her out for wearing the Wisconsin garb from her fiance's closet I assume uh, mm -hmm. so if those listeners don't know the Hoosier legend women's basketball legend Tyra Buss engaged to Brad Davison and she was catching some heat for wearing the uh, Wisconsin gear on the sidelines I just want to know your take like I'm not casting judgment either way but I want to know your take on like if you would ever wear another school's college apparel, uh, you know, either for the wife or for uh, any anyone special to you or just for any reason, if you're like visiting and, and buy something in the bookstore. Shout out to the wife for also being a Michigan State grad, so I don't have to deal with those kind of things. There you go. But um, <laughs> I kind of like how Big Dog did it when Glenn Robinson III was playing at Michigan. He just wore a black shirt. He didn't have to wear the colors of either school. He was just very neutral. And I feel like I would be that same way. Like, I don't have to wear the gear of another school, but I don't necessarily have to wear the gear of my school. I could just wear a white shirt, a black shirt, a gray shirt, like what, you know, whatever is neutral and, and do it that way. I, I, I would have a hard time if, say, I have a son or a daughter and they play against Michigan State and I'm wearing 
the opposing colors of Michigan State, I'd have a hard time with that. So I think I would just I wouldn't wear Michigan State gear because I would be fully in support of, you know, my kid or my nephews or whatever. But I can't see myself wearing the other school's garb. I, I just I don't see that in my closet at all. Yeah, despite working at Big Ten Network, um, I have not softened on like the wearing other gear of other schools. Yeah, um, like I, I, I'm just that, that's my like final frontier of like I'm a complete meatball when it comes to that, and like I just it's more of like an identity thing. Like I, you know, I don't want someone else to see me and think that for for whatever reason I went to another school. Like it's just a weird like self perception type of deal, and. I've argued with people about this. Like I had a friend who wore Notre Dame gear to a football game because his girlfriend was there. And I thought that was completely unacceptable. And I was just like that, like you didn't go to Notre Dame. Like why, why would you want to wear that? Like, I just don't, I, I can't understand why somebody would want to put themselves in that. But I also understand that I am completely irrational when it comes to this, this take. And like, you know, it really doesn't, doesn't matter in the long run, but um, I, I agree. Like if it was somebody, some sort of conflict where I was at a game on behalf of someone else or like connected to somebody else, I'd probably just go neutral with it. Um, I think I'm also just, I, I find this amusing, this, this situation, because I remember when Steve Stricker, the Illinois golfer and, you know, PGA golfer, uh, Wisconsin native. And I think Madison native wore all Wisconsin stuff to an Illinois, Wisconsin basketball game and I was like what is that like that <laughs> that was that was wild to me and then there's just something about Wisconsin I think that like has a a, a wider umbrella I want to say just because like you see like people don't even really have ties to it like Aaron Rodgers I think is Warren Wisconsin stuff guys you know who will go to Badgers games wear Wisconsin stuff it helps that they've been like very cool and very successful uh especially in recent history and, and in a lot of big games and have kind of a wide celebrity net and um, I don't know. It's just funny that this popped up with Wisconsin again because when Tyra Bus is wearing it, I was like, that reminds me when Steve Stricker wore on on Big Ten Network. I think that game was back in uh, early 20, 20 teens. Uh, and I don't know. I just I just I don't think I could ever do it. Maybe like if a kid goes to another school, I would go to a game and wear their gear. But I don't know. It's just a hot button issue. Agreed. Um... And again, I might be viewed as irrational, and that's fine. I'll go on a rational island there with you. Um, I look, When it comes to college sports, the only things you'll more than likely see me in are Michigan State or University of Detroit. Like, I had ties to both, and that's pretty much all you're going to see me in. Like, yeah. I can't wear anything else. Like, it just doesn't feel right. I also don't think, though, I mean, obviously, this should go without saying, like, you also don't heckle – her for wearing it like anyone who was like actually getting mad and like to the point where they're shouting at her at a game or like tweeting like that's that's too much like let her let her do her thing right interesting issue that i that i do uh have opinions on so i wanted to bring that up um all right before we wrap up what are your thoughts on the final home stretch for the big 10 title race here three teams with four losses uh obviously illinois and wisconsin will play and games will be favored in uh, before this comes out. But we also know that Purdue and Wisconsin play each other. So one of those teams will have another loss the rest of the way. And there's some interesting games coming up. We talked about Purdue going to Michigan State, Illinois and Iowa playing in the last game of the year. Wisconsin-Purdue is obvious, but Purdue also has to go to, to Indiana. And I think Wisconsin, I believe, has to go to Rutgers. Um, so there's quite a few interesting games coming up. Do you see five or six losses still like we had talked about? Do you see uh, a shared title, an outright title? How, how, how are you seeing this in your crystal ball? I'd be very surprised if it's not shared at this point. Um, again, and I know we've talked about this for a while, and I've, and I've thought Purdue was the best team the entire time, but the way that they started the Big Ten slate kind of allowed – other teams to stay in the race with them. And so I think it's going to wind up finishing that way as well. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, uh, you know, the winner has five losses and I could see three or four teams with that. Um, also in, the, in those games that you mentioned, Illinois and Ohio State play each other uh, this week as well. I don't know if the pot will be out by then, but um, 
you know, Ohio State can either get back in the race with that because they're only a game back in the loss column or that will eliminate them pretty much and it'll just be the three-team race. I feel like Ohio State's kind of that forgotten team because they had a bunch of games to make up from, like, pauses and stuff, and now that they're starting to make them up, it's like, oh, like, they're kind of still in this thing, and it looked like Indiana was going to knock them out, and they figured it out to stay in the race. So I'm not counting the Buckeyes out. Um, I still think they've got some depth issues, so I don't know if they're fully in it, but they still have games in front of them where they can get some stuff done. And we can't forget – Illinois, Iowa in the season. That's always fun. They don't like each other, as you well know. And so um, I remember it was some it was some fun stuff in Iowa City back in December. And it's kind of wild that they haven't played since then. But the way that both teams are trending up right now, that game could be a lot of fun at the end. Agreed. Um, all right. Last thing we'll talk about the race that you think is just as intriguing as we we discussed pre-show here as maybe the title race uh, in the conference standings. And uh, I know you're, you're into the player of the year discussion. So why do you still find this compelling? I mean, I think the, the surface answer is obvious, but I want to get into how the, you know, the horses are stacking up here toward the finish line. Uh, got a lot of great players in the big 10 and the, who, however we decide which one is going to be the best or name the best is going to be pretty intriguing. Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to depend on who wins the league, too. Um, I think the race is so close between three guys that whoever winds up winning the title, that might be the tiebreaker between them. Um, I think Johnny Davis, Kofi Coburn, and Keegan Murray are like the three that have separated themselves. Even though I still think Jaden Ivey's the best player, I don't know if he's going to get enough votes over those three to win the win the award. EJ Liddell was in that mix, but I feel like the last couple of games kind of knocked him out, especially when Keegan Murray outplayed him in Columbus and got away. And I think it kind of pushes him back. He'll still be a first teamer, might be even second team All-American, but just in terms of player of the year, I don't think he'll win it. So I feel like anytime you see Johnny Davis, he comes out, he has a, a crazy game. They, they beat Indiana on the road or, you know, he goes crazy against a ranked team and he gets, you know, 12 rebounds and 30 points and makes a bunch of shots later. You're like, oh, man, how is he not player of the year? Then Illinois plays. Kofi's dominant. You know, a casual 27-9 and nine against Michigan State. Whenever they needed a bucket, they just threw it to him. He got a bucket. You know, made his free throws late. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, Kofi's clearly got to be player of the year. And then, like, oh, Keegan Murray kind of struggled a little bit against Michigan. They lose. You think, okay, well, he might be done. They go to Ohio State. He dominates. A win, follows it up, another cool 28 points, you know, shows the the versatility that he has. And you're like, well, he seems like the most talented guy. And so I feel like anytime like one of them is playing, they become the front runner until another player plays and then he becomes the front runner because it seems like don't they don't really have bad games at this point. Like Johnny Davis, I guess, had the bad game against Penn State. But other than that, I can't feel – I don't feel like there's been a bad game for any of these contenders. And I'd be shocked if – like, I wouldn't be shocked if, like, they had a split. Like, maybe there's a cop-out of, well, maybe there's, you know, a co-player of the year kind of thing. And I know we've seen that in the past. Um, I, I really do think it's going to come down to the last day, though. Like, if Kofi – when Kofi and Keegan Murray play each other – and if Kofi goes crazy and they win the league, like that might be the moment where he, he gets it done. Yeah, it does feel like kind of like the Super Bowl MVP, right? Like it's going to go to the best player on the, the winning team. So, or the uh, the most prominent player, the quarterback of the winning team, I should say. So you're right. It's going to be really interesting. And we talked about it, I think, in a previous episode, how it seems like the depth of the contender pool is, is stronger and deeper than really, you know, anytime I can remember. Like it's just a lot of big names, a lot of gaudy numbers. And uh, it's been fun to watch. So coming down to it, H, uh, appreciate, you know, you catching us up and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk again with, with all this, you know, really going crazy here in the next few weeks. It's getting to my favorite time of year. So I'm, uh, I'm hyped. I hope Big Ten can do better than last year in the NCAA tournament. But first, we got to get to Indy, get through Indy, and hopefully put on a show there. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll be 
much better off this year, even though the seedings might not be as high, but we have good guards and we didn't necessarily have really good guards last year. And I think that was part of the reason why a lot of big 10 teams went home when you have Jay Nivey and Johnny Davis. And I know Keegan Murray's not a guard, but he has the ball a lot. So I think when you have those three guys, they, they have a chance to take you really, really far. I'm just going to go ahead and blame last year on the fact that the teams were in Indianapolis for like two weeks straight. That's the easiest explanation. It's like everyone else got there a few days <laughs> earlier. Big 10 teams were, were there uh, in confinement for like over a week and a half. And let's just blame that. It's blame COVID. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Yeah. I got no argument there. All right, H. Uh, we'll talk as soon as possible. And until then, appreciate you, you jumping on. Oh, yeah. No problem. Always uh, happy to be on. All right, thanks once again to Harold and Bo for joining the show. Great discussion with both of them. And I want to give a special thank you to producer of this show, the editor of the show, Julie Bronder. This will be the last show she edits as she bids farewell to Big Ten Network and actually moves out of the country. I don't know what I'm allowed to share in the podcast. I don't think it's really a secret, but Julie is moving to Spain and ending her run here at Big Ten Network after 14 years and four or five years or so of uh, producing this show. So it's been a great run, and we wish Julie the best of luck and want to thank her for stitching these together each and every episode. I don't think she ever really missed an episode, uh, despite her love of vacations. Um, And I'm allowed to make that joke because I also like to take vacation time (laughs) when I can. So Julie knows it's all in good fun, and she knows, I hope, that I appreciate all the work she's done on this show and elsewhere in, in our projects over the last five-plus years that I've worked here and the 14 that she has put in here at the network. So best of luck, and hopefully her final act as producer of the show will be helping me find a new one and train them so I don't have to uh, do all this myself. So um, if you are so inclined to congratulate Julie and wish her the best. Go on her Instagram, Julie Rubes 13, Julie Rubes 13, and send her a DM and uh, follow her. Be prepared for a lot of dog content. And the dog will be making it to Spain with the Bronder family as well. So this is a uh, tribute to Julie and we'll wrap it up right there. Fittingly want to thank everyone for, for tuning in and we'll talk to you soon here on the Take 10 podcast. <laughs>